If you have your Bible this morning, I want to invite you to turn with me to Daniel chapter 9. And we've been telling you, we've been reminding you over the last several weeks that we, without question, live in a world uh, that is opposed to both the standards of Christ and opposed to all of those who would seek to live their life for the honor and glory of God. And it seems as if the world and the culture that we live in uh, are more and more opposed to those things every day and, and especially every year. And no matter what segment of society or culture that you look to, you, you see evidence of this. And in fact, I wrote down some of those, some of those segments uh, just, to, just to draw your attention to them this morning. If you look at, for instance, the definition of marriage, uh, you can see that the world, especially here in America, that it stands uh, opposed to the standards of Christ. Uh, the definition of marriage changes every few months, right? It was hard enough here uh, to have a marriage that honored God and that persisted, that persevered. How much more difficult is it going to be to have a God-honoring, Christ-like marriage for my children growing up in a world where the definition of marriage has completely changed? Another segment of society is just the content of television programming. You know, if you turn on your television in the evening, it is hard to watch television and at the same time uphold a standard of Christ, at the same time honor God, just the things that stream into our homes via our television sets show us that the world stands diametrically opposed to the things of God. Uh, worldwide persecution. Did you know that the year 2017 will set a record will set a record for the greatest number of Christian churches burned, of Christians arrested for their faith, Christians beaten and executed because they have stood for Christ around the world. Never has there been as much persecution as there is now. So 2017 will set a record. 2016 did. They're still composing uh, together the statistics for 2017. And if nothing changes, 2018 will be worse than 2017. We live in a world that rejects Christ. I think about the vulgarity in common discourse. Has that just amazed you in the last year or two? I, I don't watch a whole lot of television, but last night I, I, I turned on Netflix and I was just looking for, while I was doing something else, a documentary. I'm a sort of a weird guy and that's what I like to watch. But, so I just found a documentary. That's pretty innocuous, right? And this was a documentary about fishing off the coast of Massachusetts. And I'm not a big fisherman, but I was interested in that. And I like to eat fish. And so it's a good, perhaps, to know where they come from. And, and so in this documentary that I've tried to watch, the language was so vulgar. I mean, it, it wasn't a drama or a comedy or, it, it was just a, a professionally done documentary. The, the language was so vulgar, it was difficult to watch. Uh, the fact that pornography is now freely available uh, on every telephone, every tablet, every computer, uh, that everybody you know who's 10 years old and older has free access to tells us that the world just stands opposed to the standards of Christ. Even now workplace rules that keep people from sharing their faith like they would like to share their faith. 
We live in a world that stands opposed to Christ. And so how are we going to manage this? How are we going to have godly marriages? How are we going to raise godly children? How are we going to bring honor and glory to God in such a world that is bad now and getting worse? Well, we've said that there's a great place in the Bible to turn for the answer. Uh, Because uh, in the book of Daniel, we see that Daniel and some of his friends faced the exact same problem. Daniel and his friends lived in a culture that honored God, uh, but because of a number of things that happened, they were exiled, they were transported from, from that culture to a completely foreign culture that stood opposed to everything that they had been raised to believe. But Daniel found a way to honor God even in this pagan culture. And so we've been taking a few weeks to answer the question, what did Daniel do? What can we learn from Daniel's life that will teach us, that will help us live for Christ in the world that we live in today? So we've learned that there are a number of things. We said, first of all, we learned from Daniel chapter 1 that we need to be careful in this world not to defile ourselves. That we need to draw a a, a sharp red line between how the world lives and how we live and we need to make sure we stay on the right side of that line. We learn secondly, that if we're gonna live in a world that rejects Christ, we need to know exactly why it is that we follow Christ. Because if you're following Christ for the wrong reasons, as it becomes more and more difficult to follow Christ, you will find that your faith will fade. We said number three, if if we're gonna live in a world that rejects Christ, we've got to live with integrity. The world has got to know of us that even when they look behind the curtain, that they're gonna find people of integrity. That is our inner strength for living in a world that rejects Christ. We learned last week that we must tell the truth. Even when it's difficult, and even when there's a price to pay, we must stand and tell the truth to this culture. That's what we must do. Well, the next thing, listen, and the most important, if we're gonna live in a world that rejects Christ, we must pray. If we're gonna have any success, we must pray. We're in a spiritual battle for our families, for our marriages, for our own purity and holy living. We're in a battle for our future, our souls. We're in a battle for our church, for influence in this culture. And if we're gonna have any success, it's gonna come because we pray. It's going to come because God intervenes and protects our families and our marriages. It's going to come because God gives us strength for holy living. It's going to come because God grows our church. If we're going to live in a world that rejects Christ, we must be people of prayer. Now, Daniel... His secret weapon. Do you know what it was? And you can read through the whole book of Daniel and you find all kinds of things that Daniel did. But you know what? Daniel's number one secret weapon to being successful in that pagan culture, Daniel prayed. Uh, You learned in Daniel chapter 6 a few weeks ago that uh, Daniel had a habit of prayer uh, three times a day. Though he was a busy man. Uh, Though he was a a government official, though he had great responsibility and a long to-do list, Daniel found time three times a day to pull aside physically and to set aside time to commit to prayer. Daniel was a man of prayer. And in Daniel chapter 9, 
we see that he recorded one of his prayers. He wrote it down. Have you ever written down one of your prayers? If you've never done that, you should. It'll teach you something. But Daniel wrote down a prayer in Daniel chapter 9. Now, just for you Bible study students, does that make sense? You, Bible, you students of the Bible, let me give you something to chew on. If, you're, if you just really like to, to go deep. So this is in Daniel chapter 9. It is said to be, by some commentators, the greatest prayer in the Bible. And uh, if you don't know it, you'll be impressed with it in a moment. Daniel chapter 9, one of the greatest prayers in the Bible. But there are, in fact, three post-exilic prayers uh, after the exile prayers in the Bible that are very similar. And interestingly enough, they're all in chapter 9. <laughs> there is uh, Ezra chapter 9, where Ezra prays a very similar prayer. Uh, there's Nehemiah chapter 9, where the priests pray a prayer, and it's recorded there. And then there's Daniel chapter 9. And all three prayers, they're very similar. And if you just want to take a deep dive this week, read those three prayers. Uh, Ezra 9, Nehemiah 9, Daniel 9. It'll re really deepen your prayer life. But what we see in the one we're going to look at today, Daniel chapter 9, is really a model for prayer. Now, you're familiar with one prayer model, right? Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus said, pray like this. We know it as the Lord's Prayer. A better title, more accurate title would be the model prayer, uh, where we pray, uh, uh, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I mean, you know that prayer? That is a model that Jesus gave us for how to pray. That is the New Testament prayer model. What well, Daniel 9 is sort of the Old Testament prayer model. Now, it, it lines up pretty well with, uh, with Matthew chapter 6, with the Lord's Prayer. But here we see a model for how to pray. And I want to teach you this morning uh, Daniel chapter 9. But before we read some of the prayer, what I want to do is read you the result of the prayer. You know, it's, it's one thing to study the prayer. I mean, that's what we need to do this morning. We need to study this prayer. But I think what's going to encourage us, what's going to motivate us, is to see what happened after Daniel prayed. I mean, we're interested in prayer, but let's just be honest. What are we most interested in? What happens after we pray? And so that's what I want us to read together. Daniel chapter 9, it begins in verse 20. And something we've been doing the last few weeks, just to, just to give special attention to uh, the, the, the reverence that is due to the Word of God, uh, I've been asking people just to stand as we read. So if you don't mind, stand. Let's read a few verses, beginning in Daniel chapter 9, verse 20. He said, while I was speaking, praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my petition before the Lord, uh, my God, concerning the holy mountain of God. So he was praying, he was confessing. When it says holy mountain of God, he was praying specifically that, that the nation of Israel would be restored and that Jerusalem would be restored. He's, he's praying specifically for that. Uh, verse 21, while I was praying, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the first vision. Now, Gabriel is an angel who appeared as a man. And so he's already had one encounter with Gabriel, but now another. It says, Gabriel reached me in my extreme weariness about the time of the evening offering. And so Daniel is praying 
I mean, this has never happened to me, but this would be wonderful. Daniel is praying and the angel Gabriel interrupts his prayer, says, hold on a minute. God's got a message. Stop praying. So here's what happened. Verse 22, he gave me this explanation. Daniel, I have come now to give you understanding. At the beginning of your petitions, an answer went out. So even as you began to pray, God answered. An answer went out, and I have come to give it, for you are treasured by God. May God add blessings as we read his word, and you may be seated. There are two things that I think really stand out there. Uh, the first one is that God just tr God treasures those people who pray. Isn't it interesting that uh, in the midst of Daniel's prayer that the angel brought this message, Daniel, God treasures you. Now I want you to listen to this. I believe the most important thing about you if you were to sit down and just tell me something about you, the, the, the one thing that would tell me more than perhaps anything else would tell me about you is your personal, private prayer life. You see, there are a lot of things that you can fake. There are a lot of things that you can deceive others or even be deceived concerning yourself. But a man's private prayer life paints a picture of the kind of man he really is. Uh, so my second most favorite theologian, my first favorite theologian is Dr. Garrett sitting there in the back, so you're, you're number one. But number two, right behind Dr. Garrett, is John Owen. And uh, John Owen uh, was a theologian and a preacher uh, 350 years ago, I, I suppose. And he said this, this is what's important, not his name, but what he said. He said, what an individual is in secret on his knees before God, that he is and no more. So you can pretend to be whatever you want to pretend to be. But who a man is in secret on his knees before God, that's who he really is. And so when the, when the angel brought the message to Daniel that, uh, that, that God is especially pleased with you, that God treasures you, I, I think it's, it's putting God's stamp of approval on a man who was famous for praying, for being a praying man. Now, the second thing I think we see here just briefly is that God does delight in responding to the prayers of his people. Uh, now, we may get frustrated sometimes that God didn't respond the way we want him to or, or according to the schedule that we have given him, but God loves to respond to the prayers of his people. And, and in, this, in this sense, in this case, the angel says, Daniel, even when you started praying, it was like God couldn't even wait till you finished. You, you, you know how this, you know, sometimes you just get so excited, you, you get ahead of, you, you get ahead of things. And, 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 and of course, that's not true of God. I mean, his, his timing is perfect, but, but it's almost as if God was so anxious to answer Daniel's prayer that even when he got started, even before he finished, God sent an answer uh, to, to Daniel. And so what an incredible, um, what an incredible response. You can read the rest of Daniel 9. It's a, a, a very important uh, prophetic uh, word uh, and, uh, and, and plan, really, for God's um, 
working through the nation of Israel in the years to come and a great, a great passage to study. But let's turn our attention now to the prayer. Let's look to the prayer that brought this incredible response from God and let's learn something of the kind of prayer we need to pray if we're going to live in a world that rejects Christ. Now, let me tell you, I'm just going to really introduce this prayer to you. I, I, I have never, I've never preached on this prayer before, but as I studied it um, a little bit before Christmas, just planning out this message series, but a lot this week, uh, I've just been so impressed with this. I, I think we could take six or eight weeks and talk about this prayer. There's so much here to look at. Uh, but what I want to do today is really just introduce the prayer and show you some important principles that we can draw from this how we need to pray if we're going to live in a world uh, that rejects Christ. So I'll give you three things. We'll see them in the prayer as we go. Number one, the priority of prayer. What do we need to know? We are strongest when we are on our knees. We are strongest when we're on our knees. Now look, look in your Bible at verse three. So this actually is the verse before the prayer begins. He says, so I turned my attention to the Lord to seek him by prayer and petitions with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. What we see here is the priority that, that Daniel is giving to prayer. He says, I have fasted. That says something about uh, his desperation before God when he prays. He goes without food. Uh, because prayer is even more important than eating. So it, it speaks of his desperation. It says that he covers himself with sackcloth and ashes, uh, which is not something I'm suggesting, but, uh, but, but, it, but it speaks of his repentance, his attitude of repentance. But here's something more I want you to see. Now it says in the Bible version that I'm reading that he turned his attention to the Lord. I love how this reads in some of the older translations because it says there that he turned his face to God. What it means is that he gave God his full attention, that he put all of his trust in God. This wasn't, I'm going to do what I can. And just in case I'm a little bit short or my, my strategy or, or, or my plan isn't quite perfect. I'm going to pray a little bit, you know, just to get a little boost in my, in my strategy. No, he says that, that my highest focus, my my absolute dependence is upon God. This is a fervency to prayer. See, Daniel didn't have like this seven-part plan to live in the world that rejected his God, and prayer was just one of seven parts. I mean, that was, that, that's not Daniel. Daniel had a one-part plan. I will pray. That's the first thing he did. The last thing he did. It's what he did in the middle. It was his highest priority. He turned his face toward God. If we are going to live in a world that rejects Christ, we've got to pray. But our prayer's got to be of such high priority that we find ourselves turning our attention to God. We had prayer this morning right, right here at this, uh, at this altar, 6 o'clock this morning. And one of the things that we prayed was exactly these words that as people filled this uh, this worship center today, that they would turn their face toward, toward God. God. God in prayer has got to be our focus. You ever heard of Oswald Chambers, the devotional writer? I know a lot of you read his, uh, his uh, 
devotional book, my utmost for his highest. He, he said something that was interesting. He said, prayer is not preparation for battle. Prayer is the battle. See, we often think that I'm going to pray to get ready to do something. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to go do something important. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to, but, but, but no, see, that's not how Daniel looked at it. Daniel didn't see prayer as preparation. And that's what Oswald Chambers says. Prayer is at preparation. Prayer is it. Prayer is the battle. Prayer, we are never stronger than we are when we're on our knees. Uh, I love to read uh, old Adrian Rogers sermons. You know who Adrian Rogers is, pastor, champion for the Bible uh, many years ago. And, and I read one of his sermons this week. He said this, much prayer has little effect. So much of the time when people pray, nothing happens. He says it's, it's because it's not the arithmetic of prayer, how many prayers you pray. It's not the rhetoric of prayer, how eloquent you pray. It's not the geometry of prayer, how long you pray. It's not the emotion of prayer, how sweet you pray. It's not the logic of prayer, how argumentative you pray. It is the fervency of prayer. It is that we pray like everything hinges on that prayer. So Daniel successfully lived for God, served, glorified God in this pagan culture. How? Because he had a commitment to prayer. Because he understood that he was never stronger than when he was on his knees. If we're going to live in a world that rejects Christ, it's not going to be because of our intelligence or our resourcefulness or our pedigree, our, our family connections. It's, it's not going to be because of our church membership, our church attendance, our, our, our youth group, our Sunday school, our discipleship group, as vitally important as all of those things are. If we're going to successfully live in a world, raise a family in a world that rejects Christ, we must pray. That's where it starts and that's where it stops. And so we see just even as we begin to look at this prayer, that, that Daniel understood the power in prayer. The second thing we need to know about prayer is its cost. Prayer requires an investment of time and energy. Prayer requires an investment of time and energy. Sometimes when people are just really honest with me uh, as, as pastor, I'll hear people say this. Pastor, prayer just doesn't work for me. Now, I think a lot of people think that, not a lot of people will say it, but people will say, people will think, prayer just doesn't work for me. Well, why is that? I think it's often because we don't know what Daniel knew about prayer. We haven't learned what Daniel learned about prayer, and that is this. Prayer requires an investment of time and energy. I mean, Daniel was on a casual prayer. We've already seen Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. Da Daniel prays three times a day. Don't let that just, just go by. Like, like three times a day, he prays for his, uh, you know, his nacho dip before he eats lunch. No, three times a day, he had a scheduled time. He left his office. He left his workplace. And he went and he spent time, considerable time in prayer. Daniel was just as busy as you and I. He didn't have the internet. He didn't have a fast car. He, he didn't have a telephone. He didn't, he didn't. Daniel, Daniel was an important official with great responsibility, but he committed himself to being a man of prayer. He invested time and energy 
energy. In, in Daniel chapter 9, verse 21, it says that he prayed so long and so hard that he was exhausted at the end of his prayer. But you know, we pray walleye prayers. You ever heard of a walleye prayer? A walleye prayer? That's how we pray often. I pray while I drive to work. I hear this all the time. I pray while I brush my teeth. I pray while I clean the house. I pray while I iron clothes. I pray while I fish. Now, I'm not doubting you, okay? But what I'm telling you is that what you're doing and what Daniel did are very different things, okay? Can you pray on the way to work? You can. But you can't pray Daniel chapter 9 on the way to work. I mean, you read this prayer. You don't pray this while you're fishing. You don't pray this while you're ironing clothes. See, see, see this is not a prayer of convenience. This is a prayer with energy and time invested. That's the kind of prayer that we pray. I read a, a part of a book by Tim Keller this week on prayer. And one of the things he said that stood out to me, he says, I can think of nothing great that is also easy. Now think about that. He says, I can think of nothing that you can do that's great, that's also easy. If it's great, it's hard. And you know that to be true, right? So he says, I can think of nothing great that is also easy. So prayer must then be the hardest thing in the world. I mean, if, if prayer is the greatest thing and accomplishes the greatest feats, then prayer must be hard. And we need to know that because I think the way we do prayer so often, we think prayer is it, it's like sending an email. It's like texting God. But if you read Daniel's prayer, if you look at Daniel's life, that's not how he prayed. And that must not be how we pray. I, th I think of the historical events recorded in Exodus 17. It's one of the prayers of Moses. I did a study on Moses a few years ago, and I, I was surprised. M Moses prayed more than anybody else in the Bible, or there's more recorded prayers of Moses than any other person in the Bible. Uh, it surprised me when I, when, when I studied him. But, but one, of the, one of the prayers that Moses prayed was during a battle between the Israelites and the Amalekites. And so Moses goes up on a mountain to over, overlook the battle, and he prays, and, and it's... Uh, it's uh, described as him holding his hands up over this uh, battle uh, and, and praying. And the Bible said when he, when he prayed that the Israelites prevailed in battle. But when he got weary and stopped praying, then the Amalekites prevailed in the battle. And in fact, he got so weary praying that uh, Aaron and her, two men who were with him, had to hold up his arms so that he could continue to pray. See, see, it's just a different kind of prayer. Prayer requires an investment of time and energy. Our culture is seeking what is fast, convenient, easy, and painless. But that doesn't work with prayer. So if we're gonna, if we're gonna live in a world that rejects Christ, listen church, We've got to learn to pray like Daniel prayed. The third thing, very quickly, uh, that we need to know are the components of prayer. Effective prayer confesses who we are and appeals to who he is. It confesses who we are and it appeals to who he is. Uh, we could talk a lot about the components of prayer. And you've heard messages, I've preached messages about, you know, the six elements of prayer or the four steps of prayer or the nine 
parts of prayer, and all those are good, and all those are true, and you find those things in the Bible. But if you boil prayer down to its essence, they're really just two components. And you see these clearly in this Daniel 9 prayer. There are two components. We need to confess who we are. Prayer is about us telling God who we are, and then us appealing to God based on who he is. That's the most important thing, who we are, who he is. And that ought to show itself in our prayers. So let's just read some of this prayer, so, and we'll, it'll stand out. So I'm in Daniel chapter 9. The prayer begins in verse 4. It's 16 verses. We don't read the whole thing now. I hope you will when you get home. But let's, let's read a few verses. Verse 4, he says, I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, Ah, Lord, the great and awe-inspiring God who keeps his gracious covenant with those who love him and keep his commandments. And so he starts by talking about who God is. God, you're awe-inspiring. You're the promise keeper. Verse 5, we have sinned and done wrong, acted wickedly, rebelled and turned away from your commands and ordinances. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, leaders, fathers, and all the people of the land. And so he confesses his sin. God, I know who you are. You're the promise keeper. And let me tell you who I am. I'm the promise breaker. I'm the one who has rebelled. I'm the one who has sinned. I'm the one who has turned away. Verse 7, Lord righteousness belongs to you, but this day public shame belongs to us. You see, he's talking about who God is. God is righteous. He's talking about who he is. We have rebelled and our rebellion has brought shame. Uh, he says the same thing again. Skip down to verse eight. Lord, public shame belongs to us. Our kings, our leaders, our fathers, because we have sinned against you. Compassion and forgiveness belong to the Lord our God. Though we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the Lord our God by following his instructions that he set before us through his servants, the prophets. So he's talking about who God is and who he is. Do you see that? that, that those are the two components of prayer. Now skip down to verse 15. And um, I, I want you to see uh, how this plays out even further. Verse 15 says, Now, Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a strong hand, and made your name renowned as it is this day, we have sinned and we have acted wickedly. Lord, in keeping with all of your righteous acts, may your anger and wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain, for who, because of our sins and our iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become an object of ridicule to all those around. Let me tell you what that means. It's a lot of words. He, he goes to God and he says, God, I remember I have read in my Bible how you rescued the Israelites in Egypt and you freed them and ultimately brought them in the promised land. And when you did that, your name was renowned in the earth. People talked about your love and your, your promise keeping. They talked about your faithfulness and your compassion. He said, now I want you to do for us what you did for them so that your name will be just as famous today as it was in that day. He said, God, we've sinned, that's who we are, but God, you are faithful and compassionate and loving, that's how you are. And so show yourself for who you are on our behalf. You see, he, he confessed who he was, he made an appeal based on uh, who, who God is. Uh, the, I've got to read the rest of this. It's, uh, 
I don't know now where I left off, but look at verse 17. Therefore, I God, hear the prayer of the petitions of your servant. Make your face shine on your desolate sanctuary for the Lord's sake. That means what he's talking about specifically is rebuild Jerusalem, rescue us uh, from uh, from, from this oppression. Listen closely, my God, and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that bears your name. Now, it almost sounds like he's fussing at God. God, listen, open your eyes. Pay attention. Look what's going on here. But listen, he's not appealing to God because he deserves something. Why does he say God should do this? Well, look right at the end of that sentence. The city that bears your name. God, it's your name that's on this city that's, that's desolate. For we are not presenting our own petitions before you based on our righteousness. He says we don't deserve this, but based on your abundant compassion. He said, this isn't about us. This is about who you are, God. Show yourself faithful and merciful. And he wraps it up, verse 19, he just says the whole thing again. Lord, hear. Lord, forgive. Lord, listen and act. My God, for your own sake, do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. See, prayer, this kind of prayer, we need to acknowledge who we are. And then we need to appeal appeal to who God is. so, So how would that look? You know, in non-biblical language, how would that look? Well, maybe I'd pray like this. Lord, I have, I have struggled so much to keep my promises that I've made to you. But you and I both know I'm better at making promises than I am at following through. And Father, I know I lost my temper a couple of days ago. Lord, Lord I, I know that I, I, I failed you in a specific way four days ago. Father, I, I could say all kind of words, but I, I have proven that before you, I, I am not righteous. I am rebellious and I am filled with shame. But I seek your forgiveness, not because I deserve it, but because God, that's who you are. And I know you delight in showing yourself faithful and merciful and forgiving. And I pray that you forgive me. I pray that you safeguard my family so that we will be a trophy of your grace so that people will look at us and say what a great God those people serve. God work and move because of who you are. That's how Daniel prayed. And that's how this prayer, reading through this prayer a few times this next week will change how you pray. And this is the key. Knowing the components of prayer is the key, I think, to living in a world that rejects Christ. So what are we gonna do? I mean, let's just be honest, things aren't getting easier. Let's just be honest, it's harder to raise a family now than it was a year ago, and it'll be harder still a year from now. What are we gonna do? Well, if we're wise, if we're biblical, if we're obedient, we'll pray. What if, I just want you to imagine something for a minute. What if you had exactly the spouse, the quality, the character, the faithfulness? What if you had exactly the spouse that you prayed for? I don't mean just every once in a while you pray, God straighten her out, but I mean that you really pray that God would work and strengthen and give wisdom and bear the fruit of the spirit in their lives. What what if God took all the prayers you had prayed for your husband or wife, 
over the last two years and just sort of summed it up, looked at how much you had prayed, how earnest you were and the things you said. And then God said, okay, I'm going to give you exactly what you've asked for. Now, there are exceptions to this, and so, I mean, it's dangerous to say this, but you know what, for the most part, God has. And you got about exactly the spouse you've prayed for. What if God gave you the children you prayed for? What if your children's faithfulness, what if their obedience was determined by your prayers? Now, it's not always, and so, I mean, this isn't some hard, fast rule, but, you know, for the most part, we have the children we've prayed for. I remember the Charles Stanley. Do you know who that is? I'm using too many names in this message, I know. But Charles Stanley, pastor of First Baptist um, Atlanta, Georgia. Some of you younger people might know his son better than him. His son, Andy Stanley, pastor of North Point Church in Atlanta. But uh, Charles Stanley, a great man of God, been used uh, through, the, through the years. Still has, I think, the most watched television, Christian television show in the world. Uh, so he tells the story of, of being a kid. And as far back as his memory goes... Every night he went to sleep, his mom was knelt at the foot of his bed praying for him and his character. He said even as he got a, to be a teenager and it got really uncomfortable, he would go to bed, mom would come and pray for him. Even as a young adult, he lived at home. He would get home sometimes at two o'clock in the morning. He'd crawl in bed, he'd hear the pitter-patter of his mom's little feet as she'd get up, come down the hall, and kneel at the foot of his bed and pray for him. Charles Stanley says, the credit for all that God has done through me goes to my mom and the prayers that she prayed. What if we had the children we prayed for? What if you had the pastor you prayed for? What, what if the quality of your pastor was determined by the character of your prayers? What if we had the church we prayed for? What if you had the influence you prayed for? Listen, if we're going to survive in a world that rejects Christ, we must pray. And as your pastor, let me tell you what, what we need here. We need young people to develop the discipline of prayer early. I'm talking about children and teenagers and college students. Too often in life, this is something we learn to do when we're old. But, but, but young people, the most important thing you learn to do Scary as it is, growing up in this world that rejects Christ, who knows what it'll look like 10 years from now. You must learn to pray. That is the most important skill. Moms and dads, the most important skill your children can learn is to pray like Daniel prayed. Number two, what do we need around here? We need older people to quit saying that they can't serve with the same fervency that they used to serve the Lord and the church and just start praying. Listen, if you're not healthy enough to sing in the choir or, or go over and bounce babies on your knee, then th th that's, that's not the end of your service. You can accomplish more for the kingdom praying for an hour than you can doing those things for an hour anyway. Your service hasn't ended. Your opportunity has just increased. You've got more time to pray. Listen, you're healthy enough to pray. You weren't healthy enough to pray. I'm convinced God would take you home. Pray. We need seniors who will pray. Don't quit. Pray. Number three, we need men to be strong and manly and godly and prayer warriors. The Bible says that, that, that it is God's desire that men will lift up their hands in prayer in every place. Men, our church will be no stronger than your prayers. 
Now, I'm so encouraged that I know of two or three groups of men who gather together every week, some here, some in homes, and they just pray. They pray for our church. They, they pray for me. They pray for other ministers here. But we need more men to pray. If our church is going to survive in this world that rejects Christ, we have to have men committed to prayer. The strongest man, the most manly man in our church is the man who prays. And number four, we need to fill every slot in our prayer room. And we have a prayer ministry here. and We have the best prayer ministry. We have so many people involved. It is so well run. But every time I walk by that room and I see the door open, that tells me we've missed an hour. Somebody could be in there praying. Listen, we need to fill that up. I don't even know how you do it. Call the church, ask somebody how to do it. Uh, send us an email, go to our webpage. Uh, there's instructions there, I'm sure. If there's not, there will be by tomorrow. Uh, but, but, but sign up. It, say, well, I work all the time. Well, sign up for 2 a.m. I mean, we've got ways to get you in. We got, we got opportunities to pray. You know, the church our size, we, we shouldn't just have one prayer wing. What if we had three prayer rooms? What if our biggest problem was we can't find a stinking place for people to pray? So many people want to pray. The Bible says, Jesus says, my house shall be called a house of prayer. You know, our, our, our secret weapon in this pagan culture is not our building, it's not our, it's not our choir, it's not our children's ministry, it's not our youth ministry. I mean, we got the best of all of those things. But our secret weapon in this culture is our prayers. We've got to pray. Whatever our problem, whatever your problem, Whatever my need, let me tell you what the answer is. I, 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 this will be corny, but, uh, but what we need, and I want you to get this visual in your mind, what we need, what your family needs, is a bowl. Now, the Bible says in Revelation 5, verse 8, it's a picture of worship in heaven. The Bible says that... Uh, that he took the scroll and the, the, living, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, uh, there, there you see it, so you'll see if I quote it correctly. Each one had a harp and a bowl of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And here's how they worship God. Andre, they gave him beautiful music. That's what the harp stands for. But then they gave a bowl of prayer. I don't even know how that works. I'm a Bible teacher. I, I have no idea what that means. But it means at least this, that God so values our prayers that they are presented to him all day and night in a bowl. And he takes them and he responds to them. You know what your marriage needs to survive in a world that rejects Christ? It needs a bowl of prayer. You know what your, uh, you know what your children need? Your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren? Are you scared to death? Listen, I got the best children in the world. But I'm, I'm scared to death the world they're growing up in. You know what my children need, your children need? They need a bowl of prayer. It's what, uh, it's what our church needs. We got a lot of strategies, we got plans, we got staff, we got budgets. 
But if we're going to make an impact on this world, it's, we need a bold prayer. If we're going to live in a world that rejects Christ, the key is the same for us as it was for Daniel. We must pray. Just so your head bowed, nice closed. Here's what I want to ask you to do. We're, we're long on time, as I know we always are, but I, I want us to take a little time this morning. We're going to stand and sing. And uh, you can stand and sing, of course, but some of you, if you just feel so led, I'm just going to ask you to be, just sit back down, or, or you can do this standing, but just to bow your head and just, just pray. But pray like this, Lord, this is the beginning of a whole big bowl of prayers coming your way because I've recommitted myself to this discipline. Some of, are, some of you are going to want to just come and kneel at this altar and pray and say, Lord, this is the beginning. Get the bowl ready. I'm coming. Because of who I am and because of who you are, I'm going to pray. Father, don't let this just be a message that passes us by. Don't let this just be another strategy that we talk about. But make this place, as it has always been, but in an even greater way, make this place a house of prayer. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing.